0: You're listening to 5 Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach, and I am sitting in Hollywood, California, adjacent anyway, where I have rented a house with the East Coast side of my family to visit my West Coast exhibits. And it's been fantastic experience. I even hear the smile in my voice which you can't see because I'm wearing a mask, <laughs> but i I'm just so happy that I can see each one of my exhibits every day that I'm here. So I feel very lucky, hashtag lucky, hashtag blessed. And also, I feel a little bit relaxed because, you know, when you're on the other side of the country, you f- you worry. You wonder how everyone is. You hope that they're fine. You don't know if they're maybe lying to you a little bit. Anyway, it's great. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy that you're with me today. And the interview you're going to hear today is with a very exciting chef, a very exciting figure in the food world. His name is Chef Kwame Anwachi, and he is not only a James Beard Foundation anointed star. He was named actually the best new chef of 2019. Like no other conditions, best new chef, not of, you know, the tri-state area, just Period. Full stop. And he also wrote a memoir called Notes from a Young Black Chef. He has run the kitchens of some very hot and prestigious restaurants in Washington, D.C. We're awaiting his next moves. And in the meantime, a really cool conversation with Chef Kwame. But first, my five things that made life better this week. Okay, number one is so obvious. It's being with all my kids, all my exhibits and their affiliates and it's great and I've been so happy and we've gone through more cases of white claw variety packs and beer and rosé and who cares it's just been spectacular i have i have widened my grin considerably number 2 a morning swim i'm very fortunate i understand when i go back home in a few weeks There will be no more morning swims. I'll probably be stuck inside the apartment for a long time, but I'm enjoying it now and am very grateful. Number three, Mexican food. Come on, I'm in California, which is near Mexico. So the Mexican food is more Mexican and more authentic and better. Number four, privacy. I love my apartment. I like my neighbors and the guy behind the desk and all that but it's really nice to not have to talk to other people on this trip. I feel very focused on my family, and I like that. And number five, dinner at Ken and Lori's house. They made a gorgeous dinner, including homemade duck prosciutto, beautiful Kistler wine, lamb that was out of this world, feta thing that was out of this world and Sally's apple pie. Thank you so much. You went to a lot of trouble. Just want you to know it was appreciated. And if you got queen bee today, good for you. I'm not going to be jealous. Coming up, Chef Kwame, don't go away. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach, and my guest today is a very well-known, very well-decorated, very fascinating chef. His name is Kwame Anwachi, and he is a fellow New Yorker by way of Nigeria, by way of Louisiana. And you may have heard of him. He wrote a very well-received and edited book. It's called Notes from a Young Black Chef. It was published last year by Random House. So welcome, Kwame. It's really good to talk to you.
1: It's great to talk to you. Great to be here. Um, Always good to talk to a fellow New Yorker,
0: your Mm -hmm. family. You know, in all the interviews I've seen of you, I just recognize you. I, I mean, we didn't grow up in the same universe, the same neighborhood, or the same decade. But I just, I know you, you're a smart New Yorker. You're fun to talk to. You're fun to listen to. Yeah, I
1: appreciate it. We we grow up fast. You know, we go through <laughs> a lot. So uh, it prepares us for the world.
0: It does. Yeah. It does indeed. Well, so speaking of... The world in crisis right now, I was just talking with friends about eating out. Now, here in Manhattan, there's some avenues that virtually look like a food festival. They're Mm -hmm. crowded, they're festive. People have turned their parking spot restaurants into lovely cafes, shrubbery, the works. But it feels like we have to do it because it keeps our spirits up. People enjoy and have missed terribly the comfort of being with others but it also seems like we're asking for trouble. I wonder what is the future of the restaurant business in a pandemic.
1: You know, that's a great question. For me, even throughout the pandemic, I was saddened by just the whole atmosphere of New York City. You know, New York City is vibrant. That's what makes it, you know, one of the best cities in the world, especially the restaurants and bars. So without that, it takes away from the charm of the city. You know, It but,
0: certainly does. Yeah. Not to mention income of so many thousands of workers, not to mention people being hungry.
1: Exactly, exactly. You know, you look at the Bronx, it was one of the worst hit counties yeah. in, in, in the world. And it was forgotten in a sense. And there's so many people out of work that are now in trouble. You know, it's hard for them to provide for their families. Right. So when I think about restaurants and how there are somewhat getting back their vibrancy. It's kind of like a double-edged sword because we have a job to do as humans to kind of flatten this curve and get right. back to some sort of normal. But there are people that also thrive off of social interactions, people that they aren't themselves if they aren't able to connect with people. So, right. so there's, there's kind of no right or wrong answer in, in that regard. You know, we have to make sure we social distance. We have to make sure we take care of ourselves and that's the only way we're going to get back to, to some sort of normal.
0: But in the meantime, when it gets cold, New York is not a city that has had, has really pushed the outdoor dining until now, mm-hmm. never had heat lamps, never really pushed it through the, you know, the fall. Is that going to have to change?
1: It, it's going to have to because we can't close down again. You see how many restaurants are closing right in the country?
0: It's it's tragic.
1: Yeah, classic restaurants, you know, mom and pop shops, fine dining restaurants, no one's safe right now. Right. So, we're going to have to figure this out. We're going to have to keep that outdoor dining in some sort of capacity.
0: It does feel you touched on the need to be with others. It does feel like restaurants are doing not just the business of feeding people, but it does feel like it's a a, like a um, social work. Yeah. You know, we need to see one another. We thrive when we're together. We get dopamine and, you know, it's exactly. just a, oxytocin happens when you're with your friends. Exactly, It really highlights the good that comes out of a, an experience sitting at a table and uh, just being with another person that we've never really taken stock of how important that is emotionally.
1: Yeah. It's an escape. You know, you go to restaurants to celebrate, you go to restaurants when you're sad, you know, um, you're, you're being taken care of. Mm -hmm. So people are missing that for sure. We need to just make sure we're doing that in in a safe capacity.
0: And do most chefs that, you know, have a plan B of what they're going to do if the winter is long and cold and, and doesn't allow for eating out or, and certainly not for eating in a restaurant
1: no i mean it's really playing it by ear we're we're very resilient you know restaurant operators we're we're used to thinking on our feet so i'm confident we'll figure it out but you know, we do need some help from the government. We do need some sort of stimulus package just for restaurants alone and restaurant mm-hmm. operators and independent restaurant operators. Our margins are very thin.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, we can't survive on fifty percent capacity. It's just, it's, it's impossible.
0: Well, and then there's the idea that you went to the uh, cooking school, the best one, CIA. Mm-hmm. Did they teach you how to do business also? I mean, I think you're learning yeah. how to be a chef. Are you learning how to be a chef owner at that school?
1: Yeah, they, they have a, a, a full curriculum on, you know, menu planning, culinary math. And especially when you get into the bachelor's program and, and so on, you learn um, a lot about operating a business as well. But you you have to really learn it by doing it. You know, it, it's, it's hard to, to learn that on paper. Um, you know, it's different when you're, you're dealing with actual money and actual people. So it happens in the field, you know, and that's how I learned mainly by just by just doing it.
0: It had to have been extra hard trying to raise money for a restaurant when you were in your early 20s mm-hmm. and you're a young black guy. Yeah. You know, there aren't a lot of black chefs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. It was it was definitely tough, you know, it was tough even coming up in the industry, you know, within fine dining. There are not a lot of people that look like me.
0: Did you find it hard to get into those kitchens or or not?
1: Uh yeah, it was hard to get in, but it was also hard to to move up in those kitchens more importantly.
0: And the idea that you were what, 24 when you opened your first restaurant? Mhm. That's like that never happens unless somebody's some rich guy's son decides he wants to sell sliders or something. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how th- that's that's a giant a uh, hurdle that you set up for yourself. Yeah,
1: well, you know, I, I worked really hard. I, I started when I was five years old working kitchens and. I made myself very visible and got in front of a lot of people. I did pop-ups all over the, the world, feeding you know 400 people every two nights. Well,
0: not when you were a child. That was when <laughs> you were, what, <laughs> in your teens or something? I
1: was, that was in my early 20s when I was trying uh-huh. to uh, raise money for, for the restaurant. So yeah, I did everything that I could to get in front of people and tell my story and, and have them taste my food.
0: Your story includes some very tough times, that you're very candid about selling drugs and being in a gang and getting into trouble. Mm-hmm. How did you turn that around so quickly and, and convince people to invest in you even more to the point?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I had some good people around me that really told me that like, this isn't what you're here to do, you know, and this isn't you. And, and also seeing Obama walk across the stage, you know, I, I never thought in my lifetime I would see a black president. Um, just because of how far we've come in, in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And seeing that, it, it was just like, what am I doing? Why am I wasting my talents doing this? If he can do that, I can do anything that I put my mind to. So yeah, I mean, I had a lot of things that that influenced me to change my life. And I also removed myself from situations, moved down South to Louisiana and mm-hmm. started cooking.
0: Wow. We've heard a lot about, whether it's Anthony Bourdain or Stephanie Dandler, we hear a lot about drugs in the kitchen staff mm-hmm. and the kitchen staff and booze in the kitchen staff. That must be more difficult for somebody who's got to stay clean.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a stressful environment, you know, mm-hmm. um, and people look to those things as, as an escape. So,
0: Is that what it is? There's so much stress. You've got to get everything plated and out there on time and people have to like the food and it has to be medium rare. No, it has to be rare. No, this one, <laughs> I mean, I can imagine the stress. And so after a night cooking in a hot room with all the knives and all the sauces and all the people, everybody just wants to blow off steam. Is that sort of the restaurant
1: yeah, well, you, you work hard, you party hard. That's, that's part of it as well. It's, it's also a place that a lot of people gravitate towards, a kitchen. So mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't really matter your background for the most part. And it just so happens that that was the lifestyle you know, for many people, and it's getting a lot better now. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's an unfortunate part of, of the industry. Um, I think the more we talk about it, the more we can put a stop to it and find other outlets to kind of release that stress.
0: In terms of food trends, you got to live, I'm going to put a positive spin on it. You got to live in Nigeria when mm-hmm. you were a young boy. Yes. Even though it wasn't your choice.
1: It was not my choice. Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I lived out there with my grandfather uh, for two years and I learned a lot. You know, I, I learned a lot of things to appreciate. You know, just by not having them out there. Right. Like running water, like electricity, you know, like just going to the grocery store and getting a cellophane package of. You know, salmon or or chicken, you know, we had to raise livestock and and stuff. So it it taught me so many valuable lessons that directly applied to my profession.
0: Yes, also, there's so much wasted food in this country, and Mm -hmm. you lived in a country where that wasn't the case. But I know that you cook a fusion of Nigerian and American and Creole and Cajun, and you've won a James Beard Award as the most important new chef.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I
0: mean, Hello. Do you feel, do you see the influence of your cuisine in other younger chefs coming up?
1: I think we all just like look at each other for inspiration. I know that I do. You know, I look all around me for inspiration, you know, going out to restaurants. So, I would hope so, you know, that that people get inspiration from eating at my restaurant, from working there. You know, it's it's really important to note that Caribbean food, West African food, you know, is as refined as, as any other cuisine, you know? Yes. Yes. You can't talk about American cuisine without talking about West African cuisine. That's like the roots of it all. So it's important for me to spread that message and tell that narrative and represent this amazing culture.
0: And in your time as a student, you also learned, I mean, you worked at the Per Se Kitchen, which, uh, is considered the greatest restaurant in New York city, which Mm -hmm. is one of the greatest restaurant places in the world. So you obviously learned also the most refined French and gastronomy's great traditions, right? Absolutely. So you put those two together.
1: I learned a lot of organization and a lot of the basics. Yeah, and I I think everywhere you go as a young chef, you take a little bit from this kitchen and that kitchen. You learn how to lead. You learn how not to lead. So yeah, I learned a lot from that kitchen and it, it definitely helped with organizing my own kitchens in the future.
0: How many people worked in that kitchen per se?
1: Oh, man, I don't even know. It was a lot. It was at least- like in
0: the 20s or more? Oh,
1: it was more than that. It was, Wow. Yeah, it was at least 30 people, at, at least.
0: Are you the kind of chef who yells? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, every now and then, you know, I'll lose my cool, you know, for lack of better terms, but for the most part, not not anymore. You know, when I was a lot younger, I think it's more about like losing control and not knowing how to really communicate. Uh It's a learning process, I think, for anybody that's in charge. So uh, it takes time. And at this point, no, I'm I'm not really yelling.
0: And that's that's great. And what's the biggest kitchen you have run so far?
1: It was Kith and Kin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We had, I think, 26 cooks.
0: Wow. Yeah. Kwame, that's a lot.
1: Yeah, it was a lot. It's definitely a lot. But it was great, though. We were like a family, so it was fun.
0: All the cooking shows, the reality shows, Top Chef, which you were on, and so on. Has that been good for food? Has that been good for American diets and bellies and all that?
1: I mean, I thought it has garnered a huge interest uh, Mm -hmm. in food. So it's made people more inquisitive in learning about food, you know, and knowing— better quality ingredients are like, uh, it's just, it, it's just an educational process for sure. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's brought a lot of awareness and visibility to, to the food industry.
0: Certainly it has made chefs famous. I yeah. mean, there's no question. Absolutely. And that has to be good for the business. I'm sure there are people who would come to your restaurants just to see you because you were on TV.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a beautiful thing. You know, you're able to, to touch a lot of people and inspire a lot of people.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm,
1: you know, very thankful for, for having that platform myself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you come away with friends from those experiences?
1: Yeah. Lifelong friends, you know, you go through pretty much war together. Um, a very, very special experience that not many people understand the nuances of. And yeah, you, you gain, you gain friends for life. I have some best friends that I met on the shows that I was on. So absolutely.
0: Wow. Do you feel like there are chefs that you still regard as rock stars, even though you're now a rock star?
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, people that, I, that I've looked up to in the industry, like Marcus Samuelson uh-huh. and Eduardo Jordan, for sure. You know, they're, they're definitely people that have paved the way for for me to even have a career that's been successful.
0: How come all the famous chefs are so thin? <laughs>
1: I don't know. I think we that's work- a,
0: No, that's a serious question.
1: I mean, we work a lot. You know, we're, we're not like eating so much. We're tasting, but we're, we're not like eating full meals all the time. And we're always on our feet. So right, I think right really attributes to it.
0: Clogs or Crocs?
1: Uh, I like clogs over Crocs. I wear Bergard clogs.
0: Bergard? hmm Are they like a chef's secret?
1: Yeah, it's like a um, a chef's wear, uh, French company.
0: Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So is it better than Dansko, which I wear?
1: I like them better than Dansko. I think Danskos are a little heavy. These are like light.
0: Oh, nice. And you
1: can slide around the kitchen with them. So I like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> also, are all chefs younger than, let's say, Danielle Ballou, are all of them tattooed? Basically, yes, right?
1: I mean, a, a lot of them have a tattoo, but not all, not have t- uh, some tattoos, but not all of them. Not all of them, for sure. I have a lot it's, of tattoos myself, but
0: but it's not a requirement.
1: No, it's not a requirement for
0: sure. Okay. Now the questions I always like to ask chefs, Mm -hmm. I know you make beautiful, refined food. I know that everybody knows that because you're the best chef of, of James Beard land, which, which (laughs) knows, but does a hamburger turn you on or turn you off? That's
1: my favorite it's one of my favorite meals is a cheeseburger, bacon Yeah, cheeseburger, for sure.
0: Now, is your favorite meal a cheeseburger or bacon cheeseburger that you make or that you go get somebody else to make?
1: I really like mine, um, but I like being cooked for more. So mm-hmm. yeah, when I'm cooking for other people, I like to make like, I like cooking for other people. I like that act of giving. Mm-hmm. I eat pretty much anything, honestly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How come everybody's so allergic, right? When ten years ago, no idea. That- we'd never heard of celiac disease. We never heard of nut things. We never heard of peanut. I mean, my, I grew up on peanut butter and jelly. That'd Why be, is everybody allergic to it now?
1: That'd be something in in the water or the pesticides or I don't I don't know what it is, but it's not like that in other countries. This oh, it isn't beer. No, not this.
0: Oh wow! So you don't have to have a gluten-free menu and a nut-free menu and a, a seafood-free menu and a
1: yeah, it's like we're we're gonna cook for you what what we're making and, and that's it. So it's like it's it's wild. I, I don't get it. I honestly do not get it at all. But it's part of the industry, you know. We we have all different aversions, um, you know, when we're cooking these days to make sure that people can enjoy their meals.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's not as easy as it once was. Yeah. Well, well wherever you end up, I want to go eat there.
1: I would love to cook for you. I
0: I would love you to cook for (laughs) me. I would just love it. And I'll even go back to Washington if that's what it takes. All right.
1: All right. I'm going to hold you to it.
0: Okay. Okay. So Kwame, and by the way, on all the talk shows I've seen, and I've seen you on a bunch, you're just a the most comfortable, chill guest ever.
1: I try to be myself, you know, and I try to bring some energy and um, and just be be real. So, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: You no, know, really, I was so impressed. I mean, you're a young guy still, and you just you just exude confidence, which is really nice to see. Not cockiness, mm-hmm. real confidence. It's a difference. I appreciate that. Okay, so it's time for your five things that make all life right. better. Let's do it. Okay, number one.
1: Family and friends.
0: Yep. yep. You still have family in Nigeria?
1: Uh, yes, I have family in Nigeria and Louisiana, Trinidad, family all over. So I really, really value my family and my friendships that I've garnered. You know, I, I take it really, really seriously. I think it's it's important who you are, but it's also really important the people that you keep around you. So
0: absolutely.
1: um, So yeah, those things are really, really important to me.
0: Okay. That's a good one. Number two
1: is mentorship. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's really important if you get to a level to have any sort of platform, you should be reaching back and, and helping people get there as well, or at least guiding them in the right direction.
0: Well, you had mentors, right?
1: Yeah, I've had mentors along the way.
0: Do you regard them as food mentors or just sort of how to get your life together mentors or how to open a restaurant mentor?
1: Some were business, some were food, some were just people that I can talk to. So Mm -hmm. um, it it, it all depended on what I needed in that moment.
0: Did you find in the restaurants as you were training, I guess it's like being a doctor and you're an intern, you Mm -hmm. know? Did you find that there were Black people in the kitchen who could mentor you?
1: There weren't many, no. Mm -mm. Mm. Most of the kitchens I was in, I was the only person of color. So, you know, I had to seek mentors, outside of, outside of my direct, you know, area of work.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's changing. And now you're mentoring younger chefs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's changing. And hopefully the, you know, the more people that me and, you know, other chefs in the industry can reach back and help, you know, there'll be more people, you know, that look like us in the future running restaurants and opening Mm -hmm. and investing in restaurants
0: and doing Interviews so that people know about you, and writing cookbooks so people know about you, and going on Top Chef so people know about you, exactly, and getting your your book adapted for a movie
1: into a movie, which is crazy, crazy. Is it really happening? Yeah, it's really happening. It's really happening.
0: I've written 22 books and I've yet to see one of them be made. But wait, so Notes from a Young Black Chef is being made by Lakeith Stanfield playing you?
1: Yeah, A24 is making it and Lakeith Stanfield is playing me in the movie.
0: He's fantastic. Yeah,
1: he's great. He's great. Um, I'm, there's no one better that, that could have uh, taken that role.
0: And uh, did you have any any oversight on the script?
1: Uh, the script is being written now. So mm-hmm. after it's written, you know, we'll we'll look at it and make some changes, or you know, send it off. So
0: I'm that is the coolest thing. Yeah, I'm
1: definitely highly involved in, in the in the production of, of this film since it's about my life.
0: Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you thank you. Okay, number three.
1: Thoughtful conversations. That's um something that I love, just like this one, you know, talking about things that matter, things that make you think, things that evoke change. I think it's it's really, really important to to have those conversations.
0: don't you think that in this time of sort of sequestration and deprivation that we need that even more?
1: Yes, yes, it's so important, sometimes it's uncomfortable, but It's important to have them so we can all grow.
0: Do you, uh, have you enjoyed during this period, have you enjoyed conversations more on the phone or on Zoom or in person?
1: I like in person always, um, Mm -hmm. but I've done a million Zoom conferences or phone Mm -hmm. conferences, so I've become accustomed to it, but I'm still an in-person kind of guy.
0: I get that. Number four.
1: Food. Food, 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 food. I love eating it. I love cooking it. I love reading about it. I love writing about it. I love watching it. It's something that we have to do three times a day. You know, Uh I think it's also one of the only art forms that we ingest. So (laughs) yes, yes, it's 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 fascinating to me. I love how you can like really understand someone's culture just on a plate. You can travel oceans on a plate.
0: Uh huh.
1: Um, You can get to know somebody that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Plus. As you say, reading about it. I never cooked until this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And now I read recipes all the time. I love reading essays by food people, Mm -hmm. it's just turned me on in a way that I never appreciated. It's
1: exciting. It is.
0: It's like you take all these things, powders. What's the difference between (laughs) baking powder and baking salt? Oh. Yeah. Baking soda, soda. right? Mm -hmm. Well, whatever the differences are, you know, you whisk them together with flour and suddenly it turns into something. Yeah,
1: and different things happen.
0: So what's the difference between baking soda and baking powder?
1: Uh baking soda. I, I don't know the exact difference, honestly. I'm not, I don't want to make up something. I would, I would have to look it up.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess it has to do with chemistry, right? Yeah. One of them. I never took chemistry in high school. Um, and number five
1: fashion. So I love fashion, fashion, is another form of expression, mm-hmm. and it's it's beautiful. You know, I, I love the different nuances between different cultures, different designers, and how you can actually like convey your message just by getting dressed of who you are.
0: Is there a designer whose work you particularly admire?
1: Yeah, I, I really like Rick Owens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really really expressive, and uh, Giuseppe Zanotti,
0: the shoe guy, right?
1: Yeah. Some of my favorite designers.
0: And is there any thought of your developing a fashion line? In, in time. In time. Yeah? For
1: sure. Yeah. Yeah. In time.
0: Very interesting. <laughs> Rick Owen is kind of, what would I say? You said expressive. He's also a taste you have to come to. That's not fashion for beginners.
1: Yeah. It's not for everyone. It's definitely not for everyone, but I like I like it. It's very abstract and It's just so interesting, like the way that someone would have to think to put something like that together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's like plating something, I guess. That could be a signature too.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It reminds me of that, how expressive it is. Um, And it inspires me, you know, with my plating.
0: Oh, wow. Are you, since I haven't eaten at your restaurants, are you a tall pile or a low pile?
1: (laughs) I like... um, negative space on a plate.
0: Wow. It sounds, you're you're sounding like a painter every minute.
1: (laughs) I think, I think it's fun. You know, it's fun to be expressive as well as intentional. You don't want to be expressive just to like put things anywhere, but having intention with your plating is also important.
0: No, I know. What do you think of the sort of, um, I don't know, I call it tricky food. That's not what it's really called. Like Wiley.
1: Yeah. Like molecular gastronomy.
0: Yeah. Molecular gastronomy. I'd like some foam with my, with my peanut. I mean, I I
1: think if you use it as a cooking technique, then it's fine. You know, molecular gastronomy is, is just a cooking technique. Um, you know, I think just adapting it to, to what you eat normally, um, and using it as just a component is, I think it's, it's interesting when it's done that way.
0: You know, I had that tasting menu at his WD 40 or whatever it was called. Did you ever go there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So they put a bowl of, it looks like water or something, and they hand you a plastic tube that looks like a little toothpaste tube. You squeeze it in and it becomes your noodle. Yeah. You know, it's fun, but you're not going to go back repeatedly because the same magic trick over and over becomes less Exciting! Yeah.
1: yeah, well, that's when you get innovative and and you know you continue to try to push the envelope. You know, I think that's, that's what Wiley was successful at.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He also made good donuts.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you like donuts?
1: I do like donuts. I yeah,
0: donuts. I think we're gonna have a donut together and a cheeseburger and. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't well, wait. Me too. You've been listening to Five Things That Make Life Better with me, Lisa Birnbach. My guest this week has been James Beard award-winning, wait, Lakeith Stanfield performing as, just totally cool... Chef Kwame Anwachi, former executive chef at Kith and Kin in Washington DC and author of notes from a young black chef. You can follow Kwame on Instagram at Chef Kwame Anwachi and on Twitter and Facebook as Chef Kwame. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate and review us so that we can get more listeners which we would like. My blog is at lisabernbach.com, where you'll find links and photos to all the things we've discussed today. My podcast is produced in New York City by thefieldtv.com. My engineers, Kevin Watkins, my team, Espresso Rucci, Michael Port, Boko Haft, and Sam Haft. Until next week, wear a mask and act natural. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday if she remembers.